Open your Bibles this morning to the little book of Titus, chapter 2. This being a special day as it is, probably uh, everybody can already guess what the subject's going to be, but uh, I always have to look around and I was sit- sitting there thinking about, uh, I-, I preached many times on the lily of the valley and I was looking around at these beautiful flyers and the decoration and thanks to the ladies for what a great job they do in keeping up with the seasons of the year and the events that are going on and uh, uh, it's just everything is beautiful and uh, well I say that it's obvious you know what uh, what I'll be preaching this morning I'm sure it is but you know as strange as it might sound to some of you holidays are are always difficult for pastors and that's especially true of mother's day because you know we want to make sure that we say everything just right and the right thing in the right way and believe it or not we really do want to be a blessing to you uh, i'm going to tell you something that a lot of preachers still haven't figured out And that's this, you know, rather than using Mother's Day as a time to honor mothers, they design messages that do nothing more than condemn them for all of their faults. So here you have some poor, beaten down, weary mother come to church hoping that, you know, she'll get blessed in some way and she gets bashed. And uh, I know that's true because I've done that. I've been guilty of that in the past and... uh, Uh, But there's another mistake that we preachers sometimes make, and that is that we become so intent on being well-liked that uh, we don't want to deal with any issues that, you know, we don't want to upset the ladies, so, you know, we just skip over those things that might uh, upset them. I'm talking about things that actually would help them, things that would be a great blessing in their life. And a lot of times, uh, those those things get totally ignored. So I suspect before the message is over, somebody might accuse me of failing on both accounts. I, you know, I, I don't know, and it really doesn't make any difference because uh, although I want to speak the truth in love, my main concern is to say what God wants me to say. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like honey, and sometimes it's like getting hit with a hammer. But we need both of those things. Here in Titus, chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 3, Paul says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And don't ever, don't ever imagine that that last phrase is not of great importance. For over a year now, I've been wanting to preach a series of messages on the subject, the mystery of iniquity. And I especially want to speak uh, in regards to that and what's going on by how that we have been brainwashed by the mass media, especially 
But we live in a world where the blind are leading the blind and uh, uh, people today, you know, are being convinced that it's in their best interest to just reject God's commandments and to do whatever they want to do, even though there's all of this evidence to the contrary, somebody has convinced them that that's the way to go. Now, that's not just a problem with grandma and grandpa watching the evening news. This assault on our generation today starts at the earliest possible age. I'm talking about from the first grade all of the way through the universities, and especially in the universities, among all of these issues that they have pushed and what have you, I want to focus on just one for the moment, and here it is, and it's this fact, that most women, wives, and mothers have the wrong idea about their place in the world. They've listened to what some man, some woman, some person told them instead of what God says. And here's the sad part. Sadly, there are not enough mature, spiritually minded women in the world today to serve as role models to to reach this mass part of the population because so few women today think of themselves as being ministers. Oh, wait, you say, preacher, I didn't know that you believed in women preachers. I, I didn't say preachers. I said ministers. And so many women today never think of themselves as being a minister, think of themselves as teaching, think of themselves as ministering to the needs of others. And Now listen, I realize that ideally, you know, it shouldn't matter who preaches the message. It shouldn't matter uh, who says what as long as it comes from God's Word. You ought to respond to the truth whether it comes from a sermon that Brother Kenneth or I would preach or whether it has to do with a devotion that you hear in one of the Awana classes or, well, even if you're sitting on your mother's lap and she's reading the Word of God, it shouldn't matter the person that it comes from, it's whether or not it's true, whether or not it's God's Word and we ought to receive and believe the truth, I mean, even if it comes from Balaam's ass. It shouldn't make, and it's, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I know you're, you're thinking, yeah, I see it is, yeah. Well, you think whatever you want, but I'm telling you, it's not the messenger so much as it is the message. But, but, that being said, we live in a world where it does make a difference to many people because the very thought of a man or even a pastor telling women what they ought to do is offensive to a lot of people. That, that's the world we live in. Now, I, I realize that's not true of you ladies here, I hope. <laughs> but believe me, it is true with a lot of women. They don't want any man telling them what to do. And there'll be folks that would tune me out simply because I'm a man and I know it. So I mention all of that to say this. That we are in desperate need of spirit-filled, mature women to minister to younger women. And there is a shortage of such women in the world today. I wish I could raise an army of mature women ministers. And, you know, when I say that, I, I feel like that more like a recruiter 
this morning than I do a pastor, and for good reason, because we need an army of women like that to fight against this assault that is being waged against our society. And uh, the only place we're going to find women like that is in the Lord's churches. And that's exactly what our text is dealing with here, you see. These verses have to do with a church and those who make up the church. And they describe the, 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 the description and the duty of the older women there who qualify to be mentors to the younger women. You see, pastors and deacons aren't the only ones that have to meet certain qualifications. You know, as they mature, all Christians should become teachers to someone. And every Christian ought to be a teacher. And if we don't, if we fail to pass on the truths that we have come to know and to love, then in one generation, our entire nation can go under. And I'm not exactly sure where we are, but the picture sure doesn't look good today. But to qualify, they have to model the message because it's not enough just to dispense information. We can do that with a tape recorder. You know, Brother Kenneth and I could say, well, you know, we pre-recorded our message and so we're just going to set the tape recorder up here and, and that, that way we don't have to get up here and uh, I, I don't have to strain to stand up and, and, you know, boy, that'd be easy. But the fact of the matter is the, the messenger does make a difference whether we like it or not. And for me to just, or anyone, to just dispense information without some kind of a demonstration as to sincerity and honesty and godliness, that message, more often than not, will fall on deaf ears because the younger women need a demonstration of the doctrines that are being declared. And nobody can give that to them other than a spirit-filled, godly, mature woman. And let me tell you, a godly woman like that can absolutely work miracles because there's nothing in the world more magnificent than a model mother. Uh, and, and that's what we see here. Now, when I talk about a model mother, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about you know, models who are mothers. That's not what I mean. I wouldn't want any of my daughters to become a fashion model or even to dress like one, by the way. But I do hope that all of my daughters... And every mother in the church becomes a model in the sense of setting a godly example for other women. And that ought to be a concern to each and every one of us, not just the mother. So, here's the picture. In chapter number one of this little letter, Paul is speaking about the need for godly ministers. In chapter number two, he's speaking about the need for godly members. And he starts with the men, the older men. That's where he begins. But then, no sooner does he do that, than he moves on. And he ends chapter 1, speaking about those that are hypocrites, people that claim to be Christians but give no evidence that they are. But here in chapter 2, he begins to give instructions that we might avoid that look of hypocrisy. And he starts by reminding the older people. Sometimes we get so bent out of shape about the about the younger generation. 
you know, we just wring our hands. You look at this younger generation. They're, you know, they're just a bunch of knotheads. They're, they're never going to amount to anything. Well, guess who raised them? You know, we did. We can't lay all the blame on their doorstep. You know, we have a responsibility to teach them and to show them the way that they ought to go. And so there is a need for the entire church to live exemplary lives before others. And he starts, as I said, by reminding the older people. And here in verse 3, he speaks about the older aged women. Yeah, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to tell you what that age is. You know, I, I can do like some preachers have guessed at, and you go back, you know, and read what Paul wrote over in First Timothy and what have you, and it speaks of those, you know, to reach the age of 60 and those that are past childbearing age. But it really doesn't matter how you interpret this. Uh, the moral standard is the same for all. That's the point. And so notice the responsibility of the older women here in verse number 3. And this is the responsibility of such women. And, and he tells us here in this verse four things. They ought to be holy, honest, honorable, and helpful. So let's look at each one of those phrases. He says that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness. That speaks about their behavior, that it's proper, that it's appropriate to holiness. And so he, he is describing here exactly what is required of every Christian, but especially those older women who are going to become teachers of the younger women. And it's absolutely essential that in behavior that it is becoming of holiness that they can see something different about you, that they can see something of Jesus in you. And then he says, not false accusers. That phrase, false accusers, is an interesting word. It's the Greek word, diabolos. And you probably already figured out, well, that, that means the devil. Exactly. And who is the devil? Well, Jesus said he's the father of lies. And the Bible tells us that he is the accuser. And the point is that the godly woman who is able to teach other women, the godly woman who is so desperately needed must not be false accusers. In other words, they must not be given to gossip or to slander. I had a member of the church years ago tell me after I'd preached, I, I was just going out the door and as she, she went by, she uh, she said, Brother Stone, I, I, want, I want you to know you can preach about gossip all you want, but you're never going to be able to, to, to make us stop gossiping. Uh, you know, and, and it's kind of like something to be proud of. Isn't that amazing? Well, look, it's not my job to stop you from doing anything. It's my job to tell you what is right and wrong, and God will take care of the other part of it. But let me tell you, whenever we begin to slander and gossip about people, we put ourselves in dangerous territory because it's, a, it's, a, it's an offense against God himself for us to speak ill of his children. 
And so that's why it is so important that if you're going to be that, that model mother, the mature mother, the woman that God can use to reach younger women, then you're going to have to avoid gossip and slander. Your behavior is going to have to reflect holiness in your life. And then he says, not given to much wine. Oh, yeah. And somebody says, well, see, it's all right to drink a little just as long as you don't drink much. Well, that's not what it says. That's not even the issue here. If I, tell, if I tell one of my kids, you better not get drunk, that doesn't mean it's okay to drink as much as you want as long as you don't get drunk. It doesn't mean that at all. And here he's making it obvious that no woman who's going to be used of God to teach other women can, can be so if they are addicted to, to wine, alcoholic beverages, and what have you. That word given means to be enslaved by, to be controlled by, to be held by, to be in bondage. And listen... You can argue about that all you want, and there are plenty of verses I could refer to this morning to show you how that we ought to abstain from that. Oh, yeah, but you say, but when it's used for medicinal purposes, that's all right. Listen, I understand that in ancient times they didn't have some of the medicines that we do today, and where it says, you know, take a little wine for your stomach's sake, you can argue about that all you want. But let me ask you a question. Why is it that you're not more concerned about whether your behavior is being blameless or not? And that's exactly what God tells us to do in regards to all things. So if, if what we do, if what we do is misinterpreted, you see, sinless things can become sinful. Let that sink in. Sinless things can become sinful. There are those, you know, somebody says, well, boy, I, I love to fish. Not anything wrong with fishing. You know, fishing is fine. Not anything sinful about it. But you can make a God out of fishing or hunting or shopping or whatever it is. It doesn't make any difference. Something that's sinless can become sinful. And whenever we flaunt our rebellious attitude toward others by what I'm doing is not wrong and it's none of your business. You just butt out and leave me alone and I'm going to do as I please. Then we're putting ourselves in a position where we are no longer blameless. That's why Paul says, he makes that shocking statement to the Corinthians about allowing yourself to be defrauded. Isn't that amazing? We don't... We don't, I'm not going to let anybody cheat me. They're not going to take advantage of me. I'll tell you what, I, I'll see to it. I'll, I'll make things right if, if it kills me. It might kill you. I mean, you just don't know. And Paul says instead of bringing your squabble into the church, instead of hindering the work of God, instead of ruining your testimony... Do those things that are blameless. Get that question mark off of it. It's like, you know, women saying, well, you know, is it okay? Where, where do you draw the line on skirts? Is above the kneecap? How about that? What, what about right below the kneecap? Or has it got to drag where? I tell you what, you put it in a position where it doesn't raise any issues at all, doesn't call anybody to question your modesty or not, and you'll be in good territory most of the time. Now, I know you can probably think of some exception to that. 
But most of the time, you, we ought to remove that question mark. And he says here, these women here, they've got to be in a position to where they are blameless before others. And notice then, he says, and teachers of good things. Now, this particular word here, the word teachers, if I remember right, it's the only time in the Bible this particular word is used. And it's, it, it, actually, it means conveying information, there's no doubt about that, but it means more than teaching in a class. It has to do with, with teaching or ministering, as it were, as though you were in a sanctuary, that you were doing priestly service. And imagine yourself, you know, being one of those priests there in the temple of God and the holiness that that would require and the sincerity that would require. And that's the idea here that every woman here ought to be a teacher demonstrating and declaring the truth to those younger women. Someone said, when godly Christian women do not infuse the younger generation with the things of God, the church comes to dire straits. And boy, is that ever true. Now, notice verse 4 and 5. Here's the requirements. We see the responsibility. We've been talking about those four things. He tells us that they're to be holy, honest, honorable, and helpful. But notice the requirements. And in these two verses, there's actually eight characteristics of godly women. I guess you could call these the marks of a model mother. Verse 4, to be sober. That doesn't have anything to do with alcohol. That word there, sober, means to be of sound mind. It carries the idea of self-control, sound judgment. And he starts there for a good reason, because our thoughts control our actions. You cannot think wrong and live right. And the woman, you know, that lives in some fantasy world that's created by soap operas, she's to be pitied. And so is her family, by the way, because it'll affect not only her, but her family. So they're to be of a sound mind, self-control, verse 4, to love their husbands. Well, don't they already? Not always. I remember years ago, uh, I uh, it was in another church, by the way, so I'll, I'll preface it uh, so nobody will think it's one of our deacons here. One of our deacon's wives was uh, telling Bev, said, I, I just can't wait till my kids are grown so I can leave him. I don't, I don't love him. I don't want to live with him. But for the sake of the kids, I'm trying to hang on until they get out of high school and then I'm, I'm gone. You might be surprised how many wives live with husbands that they don't love. And oftentimes they try to justify the divorce by saying, well, you know, I, I just don't love my spouse anymore. Well, if that's the case, then you need to learn to love them. That's your responsibility. You say, yeah, but I mean, they're not very lovable. Well, if you don't know the truth about it, none of us are very lovable. Now, that's just the truth about you, me, and everybody else. Because we're all sinful in the sight of God. And none of us treat each other as well as we should. We all fall short of that. 
So he says to these older women, that spiritually mature women, I want you to teach the younger women to love their husbands. And then, even more shocking, and to love their children. Isn't that amazing? Because you see, normally mothers have this natural love for children. Well, why do we need a commandment like that? Because you have to understand the times in which we live, as Paul described in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 3, that people would be without natural affection. That's where we're at today. Mothers who just naturally love their own children do not love their children today. There are many without any natural affections. You see, the depth of human depravity is far greater than what we can imagine. And the results of that are horrible to think about what some mothers have done to their children. All because of a lack of love. Verse 5. Here he says to be discreet. That word discreet is the exact same word whenever he's referring to the fruit of the Spirit and talking about being temperate in all things. It's exactly the same word as he's used back here in verse number 2. And it talks about being in control. If you're going to be a model, if you're going to be a mentor to the younger women, then you have to maintain control of your own life. That's not always easy, is it? Especially whenever a woman has to live with some husbands as an absolute jerk that demonstrates no love for her, no consideration for her, and, and to have to live in a situation like that. And it's easy to get out of control. and It's easy for any of us. I mean, we, we've all been there, done that in a heat of anger we'll snap at one another and say things that we don't really mean but we just momentarily lose control that's why I say everybody acts out of character at some time it happens to all of us but he says they're to be discreet verse 5 they're to be chaste that simply has to do with purity a life of purity verse 5 again keepers at home Boy, I'll answer your prayer, ladies. I won't comment on that. I'll just tell you that the Bible sure comments on it, though, in First Timothy chapter number 5, keepers at home. Well, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. You know, my mother was far from perfect. I loved her anyway. But there's one thing I can say about her. She was always there. She was always there. I knew I could go home any time of the day. Mother was going to be there. She was always there for me. And we live in a world today where these poor kids, so many of them, it's just a shame. Keepers at home, verse 5, good. They're to be good. It's such a simple concept, be good. That means to be kind. It means to be gracious. Obedient to their own husbands. Well, I don't need to say anything. God said it, and that's the way it ought to be. You can, re- you can resent it. You can reject it all you want to. 
but to reject what God says, whether it is in reference to this or anything else, is to be living in rebellion against God, obedient to their own husbands. God's always had a line of authority. We are to obey the powers that be, whatever they are, those over us. Now notice the reason for all of this, verse 5, that the word of God be not blasphemed. I, I don't have enough words, folks, to tell you how important this is. You know, when professing Christians fail to live according to the teachings of God's Word, they are denounced by the unbelievers. In other words, their rebellion results in the ridicule from the world, and, and the Word of God is made repulsive to them. I said something about that last week, that... If you don't profess to be a Christian, the world doesn't expect anything out of you. You can just be one of the guys or one of the gals. You can just kind of do whatever you want to do. But the moment you tell somebody, I am a born-again, spirit-filled child of God going to heaven, I mean, the expectation meter gets way up there then. They know enough about Christianity to know that, that we ought to be different than the world. And don't ever underestimate the power of a godly example. Peter referred to that in 1 Peter chapter number 3 where in the first six verses he talks about the godly woman using Sarah as, as the, the model in that case and, and the power of her example. And the power of a woman's example can be so great that she can win an unsaved husband to the Lord without harping at him and preaching to him but just by her good godly behavior she in some way can become an instrument of God that will help bring him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ you know so many times we make the mistake of just thinking that we've done all we need to do whenever we've Whenever we've given out the information, like, you know, here it is, take it or leave it, like it or lump it. It's your responsibility now. I told you the truth. And put no emphasis at all on how we ought to behave. And we make the mistake of doing that sometimes. And we make the mistake, for example, whenever we tell our kids that you ought to do this, or you ought to do that. Because you can avoid a lot of pitfalls, it'll keep you from getting hurt. We put the emphasis upon how they can profit from doing right. And, you know, that's well and good to an extent. Or maybe we put the emphasis on how our actions affect other people. And that's okay. You Look, honey, you don't want to do that because, after all, you know, that, that's going to hurt that other person. So don't do that. Let me tell you where the emphasis needs to be, and that is that we put the main emphasis on doing right because it is right. There shouldn't need to be any other reason. It is just the right thing to do. Teach them to do right because it is right. Bob Jones Sr. said many years ago, it's been quoted over and over, he said, do right, do right, do right till the stars fall, do right. That's great advice. 
Just do what is right. You don't have to worry about the consequences of having done that which is wrong. Now, here's the most important thing of everything that I've said this morning. And, and I, I hope if you're here, then you're a, you're a child of God. I, I hope if you're a, a, a woman who's been saved by the grace of God, I hope in some way that God has impressed upon your heart that He wants to use you as a minister uh, to some younger woman. I don't look. I don't mean waltz up to some some younger woman after the service and say, "God's laid on my heart to be your mentor, and I want to meet with you every week." And that's not what I'm talking about. Let me tell you, you don't have to schedule any meetings. You don't have to do anything special or anything other than take somebody under your wing and show them the love of Christ. I I hope. That when you leave here, that it'll be with a determination, a commitment that I'm, I, I want God to use me that way. Because it can make a difference. It'll make a difference to them. It'll even make a difference to their family. Think about that. God can use you to change families even. But here is the one overarching, main important things of it all, and that's not just the responsibility and the requirements and the reason for it, but the fact that there's a relationship that is needed. Because none of us, men, women, boys, or girls, none of us can ever become the person that God wants us to be without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's true of everybody. You are cheating yourself If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I've been saying over and over and over, one of the most important things in life is is seeing our need, the need to see our need. But we also need to see our need of being needed. Are you listening? You need to see your need of being needed. Because let me tell you, nobody can be truly satisfied in life unless they have a sense of purpose in life. And I'm telling you, whether you realize it or not, you are needed. Because existing, well, it just leaves us empty. It's, just, it's empty. Life becomes meaningless. So what you do with your life matters. And there are those who desperately need you and you can affect them and their family but you you have to have a right relationship with God and that involves more than just being saved so many times we get the idea well you know I'm a child of God and I'm on my way to heaven I I don't know what more you expect out of me I expect you to be ministering to someone because that's what God expects Stop living like you don't have a purpose in life. That's exactly what a lot of people do. You know, get up every day, go through the process of life, acting like they don't have any special purpose. You do, whether you admit it or not. Now, let me, let me close by telling you something that w- will encourage you. So I, I hope you're listening, and here it is. You don't have to be well-educated. You don't have to give lots of money. You don't have to teach a class. You don't have to be a polished public speaker for God to use you. 
In fact, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. As good as that would be, there's still a work for you to do, even if you're not what some would call a Bible scholar, because you can always find someone who needs you. But there are three things that you could and you should do. Number one, teach by speaking the truth in love. Teach. Again, I say, you don't have to yank out the Bible and pull out an outline and say, here, uh, God sent me to teach you this. You teach them by just speaking the truth in love. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute sermon. It can be something that you say in 20 seconds that will convey to them your love and your concern for them. Speak the truth in love. Number two, testify by sharing what God has done in your life. There's power in a testimony. Just tell somebody. You, you might be in a restaurant, you know, a coffee shop, just drinking a cup of coffee. Just tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life and the difference that he made in your life. And then typify by showing That is being an example of what a Christian should be. And that would include praying for them. Because whenever you set an example for others, that includes praying and everything that we do as a child of God. And I promise you, anyone, man, woman, or child, anyone who does these three things will be a help and a blessing to other people. You're never going to get the credit... I'm talking about you mothers now, you godly mothers that have been through so much, worked so hard, and you will never in this world ever get the real credit that you deserve. Because regardless of how much your husband or how much your children try to do, it it could never be enough to pay you back for all you've done. But let me tell you, there is a reward Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven, in heaven. And we are to be laying up our treasures in heaven. And and to think about one day, you know, here you go through life giving of yourself so freely to minister to your children, some of you, your grandchildren, and you just pour yourself into their lives. And it seems like nothing ever comes back to you. Oh, but there's a payday someday. Someday, someday, I promise you that God is going to reward you for all of the good things that you've done here. And there will be no regrets in that day. You'll never look back and say, man, I regret that I did so much for my children. But there's a lot of mothers right now all over this country A lot of mothers that are filled with regret because they missed an opportunity to bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And now they're seeing the result of that in the broken lives of the children that they themselves raised. Don't be that person. Do your best. Give your all to be an example, not just to your children, but to to every person that's younger than you are. And I pray when we leave here, there'll be some that have signed up for this army of mature, godly, spirit-filled women 
who's going to leave here determined, I'm going to let God use me to make a difference in somebody's life. Would you do that? Let's all stand together. If you're here and you've never been saved this morning, please understand that without a right relationship with God, you are cheating yourself out of the most important things in life. You're depriving yourself of the most precious things possible. And this morning, all because of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary, you can become a child of God by simple childlike faith in His finished work. Father, I pray You'll use Your Word to speak to our hearts, not, not just the mothers this morning, but may, may these truths challenge each and every child of God here today. And Lord, I pray that each one might find Your grace to be sufficient to help us through the difficulties that are involved in becoming the kind of people that we need to be. Lord, forgive us of the times that we've made your glorious gospel repulsive to others by our attitude and actions. Help us to so live that they can see Jesus in us. And Lord, for that man or woman, boy or girl, whoever it is that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray they might do so this morning. Help them to settle that matter before they leave here today. But we beg it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now as we stand and while we sing, you come.